to uh, Sri Lankan. Uh, they live in Dallas in Texas. That's how we ended up there. They got two, uh, two kids. Uh, Grace is 18. Uh, Joseph is 15. And my other daughter lives in New Zealand. He's married to a Kiwi. Uh, she's married to a Kiwi. And they have three kids. So maybe I'll try to put a picture tomorrow. Show you. Beautiful. Your church people know we have come a few times before you yeah, as sure. a family, yeah. Um, I just love hearing um, ministers in particular, their story about how they decided to enter the ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how you made a decision to go into the ministry, the call of God in your life? Yeah. I, I of course, never thought I am fit. I am called to the ministry. I never had that feeling. I never saw dreams, never saw visions. Uh, uh, I said I got the call from hell, you know, not from heaven, <laughs> uh, because uh, Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, you know, the story and how the man went to hell. And from hell, he cried out and said, you know, please send Lazarus. And uh, but Abraham said, we can't. There's a gulf between. So then he said, please, I have five brothers in my home. Please send someone. And so I really felt the call of God because I saw the lost people in our country. So, uh, so I cannot say I saw a big dream or a vision or heard the voice of God. I don't have anything spectacular. But one, one thing happened was that in 1970, there was a revolution in our country, a communist revolution. And there were thousands of young people were killed. And those days they used to kill them and put in the river, you know. So sometimes the bus would stop uh, on top of a bridge and they would all look and you can see the dead bodies floating. And once I saw that, I said, God, can I, I want to do something to bring a change. I do, I'm not so, so much, I'm just a teenager. I said, I make a commitment. So I made a decision in that sense, not into ministry, but to be an answer to the problems. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, that was a dangerous decision, but <laughs> God began to then lead me step by step. Uh, uh, and people helped me to. Uh, I have friends who were mature in the Lord and they helped me. My pastor helped me. Uh, so there are the people who helped me out. I'm still trying to figure out what ministry is. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there. Um, this is not on the, on the list. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's evident to all of us that you're a man of prayer. And yeah. you speak often about, you know, as I was praying, yeah. I felt the Holy Spirit say. Yeah. Um, can you just expand a little bit on your prayer life mm. and, you know, uh, how that's developed over the years? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm not that very strong in my prayer life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think I am. Uh, but... Uh, I don't, uh, I don't think I pray enough, right? But uh, what I've learned is I, I, I use the word of God a lot in my prayer. So God speaks to me when I use the word in prayer. Again, I want to say I never heard the audible voice, never saw visions or dreams, but it's, it's all from the word. And so I spend a lot of time with the word and prayer. And other times... I pray only the prayers in the Bible. So there we get the Lord's Prayer. It's very short. If you pray, you know, five, two minutes, you can finish that prayer. But then there are prayers from Ephesians, Colossians, Paul's prayers. Paul prayed some amazing prayers. Uh, 
uh, the thing was he never prayed for needs. He never prayed for problems. He only prayed for revelation. So if you study Ephesians, as I, as I memorize, Philippian prayer, Colossians prayer. So there are many prayers which Paul prayed. So I used to pray those. And when I begin to pray those prayers, then God will you know, show things. Uh, they would bounce off to our context when we pray that. So Paul mainly prayed that your eyes will be enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling, you may know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. So, so if you really want to develop your prayer life, it's not a type, amount of prayer, or it's, it's aligning your prayer with the word of God. So I actually don't pray for personal needs at all. You know, I, <laughs> I made it a point that I pray for God's needs and, uh, and then he provides. Uh, so so is that, does it help? I don't know. Very much so. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, the other thing I say, do is I, I, say, I make it a priority. So it's not the time, but priority. I give it the first place, prayer. So if, if you can do that, then you honor God by seeking first. The good thing, Jesus never said, seek ye only the kingdom of God, right? If he said, say, only the kingdom, we can't think of anything else. But he says, seek ye first. So that means after that, you can have a hundred things, a list of hundred things, right? You know what I mean? So you can dream, you can plan so many things in life, but he says, seek first, number one, and then the rest will. So, so that's what I, when it comes to prayer, I give the priority to that. I don't pray all the time, but I just give that. Well, you need to improve. You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but recently I learned how to pray situations, turn situations into prayer. So any thought that comes, I pray. You know, any people I see, I just pray. So now it's like learning to translate everything into prayer. A problem comes, you pray. You know, generally we like to dwell in those situations, right? Isn't it? Mm. But quicker you translate into prayer, quicker you get out of it. Mm. But if you, if you dwell on it, you know, it's very, then, then it, 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 you pray, but it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Mm. I'm diverging off the questions, but um, <laughs> um, it's just some of the things that you've, you're, through the message, you, you continue to say, you know, I saw this boy and the Holy Spirit mm. said to me, yeah. you know, speak to him. Yeah. How do you, or how have you learned to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, it, it um, I, I always say, when, my, when we had kids, we, I, I should take them to school, uh, and then uh, we go to pick them up at 12 o'clock, and there are hundreds of kids uh, screaming and shouting, you know, when the school is over. But as soon as I hear my daughter say, Dad, I recognize with all the noise. You know what I mean? Because I, had, I know that she's and the relationship I have. So more than discerning the voice of God is developing your relationship, then you tend to know that that's, that's him, you know? So you see, God speaks all the time. It's like the radio waves, isn't it? Right, TV or whatever the waves is always there. God is always speaking, but we we're not tuned in. You know that's our problem. So, so I, I ask the Holy Spirit to help, 
Uh, I always have struggles. I, 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 I always, uh, I rather not do that. I rather just tell my sermon and get off, you know. It's dangerous to step out. It's like walking on the water. So, but you have to, faith is spelled risk, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> you have to take that step out. Again, I go by the image. I never get the text message. I get the images. I see people, and when I see their faces, you know, I, I see an image. And then as I began to speak about it, the Holy Spirit gives words to speak. Right? One thing I learned is that I saw, sorry, Jeremiah, he said, I will put my words in your mouth. Now, that's dangerous. I would love to get the words in my mind first. You know what I mean? I like to process it because I, 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 that's the way I live, right? I get that into my mind first and then I speak. But when it comes to the prophetic and the gifts of the Spirit, he puts his word directly into your mouth. You must learn to do that. Because otherwise, if you try to process it, you'll never give a word because you think sometimes the people you never think of, God gives some amazing words and you are, you are fearful to speak, but you have to believe that that's the word of the Lord. But I always try to tell the pastor, you know, I, I share this word. I am under your authority. So please correct me if I have done wrong, you know. So I am still human, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I generally tell the pastors, you know, if I've been wrong, just tell me. I'll, I'll correct myself. Beautiful. Uh, one of the things that happens as we get older is we tend to learn lessons mm. uh, in life that we wish we knew when we were younger. Yeah. Uh, if you could actually talk to a 25-year-old version of yourself, what advice would you give him? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that means 45 years behind, I'm thinking of. <laughs> Yeah, what I would say is that don't lose your passion for Jesus, you know. Keep Jesus as the center of it. Uh, love Jesus, you know. Spend time with Jesus. I would say, again, go to the Word and read the Word, you know. The Bible, I, I discovered myself by reading the Bible. The Bible said this is a mirror, right? So I try to find who I am by listening to people, others, and studying, and, and so much I did early in my life to discover, find who I am. And uh, the biggest challenge we all have is our identity crisis. Where do we come from? I think yesterday, Pastor Phil, um, sorry, Richard said, you know, Jesus said, I know where I, am, I came from, I know where I'm going. So if you have those two references in life, I know where I came from, I know where I'm going. Then I find my present context meaningful. So as young people, we must know that we came from God. We, God determined. Before I was born, God planned for my life. I'm not an accident. I'm not a second choice. I'm not a, uh, by uh, evolution. You know, I, I, I know I came from God. And then I know where I'm going. My heaven is my destiny. So on this earth, I have a point of reference for what I'm doing. So uh, I think we need to affirm that identity that as a child of God, you, you came from God and you're going to the Father and then in between God as in my Father's business, I can do something. Second thing is uh, don't be afraid of mistakes. So 
I used to think success is the best teacher for many years. So I always looked to successful people. So I would go for a conference and listen to some successful preachers and try to repeat and do it. Never works. <laughs> then I realized failure is a better teacher than success. So never fail, never be afraid to make mistakes. Okay. In fact, everything I do well now, the fact that I'm seated and standing, or all happened because of the failures, the mistakes I did. Is that right? Right. So we, will, we don't want to talk about the mistakes because we like to talk about success, right? So in, in the church, there is nothing called TED Talks, right? <laughs> we all have stories of failures. Paul said, I'm weak and, um, you know, so be, be willing to make mistakes, all right? The man who made no mistakes made nothing, they say, right? So I would say encourage young people, attempt things, do things. And if you, you need to have also fathers who can encourage you. But, uh, yeah, I think that's what, does it help? I don't know. It helps a lot. <laughs> Is it helping anybody? <laughs> it's very good. Um, we all go through experiences, and yeah. no doubt uh, um, at your young age, you would have already experienced yeah. uh, some challenges or some difficulties uh, or even some failures, as yeah. we've been talking about. Mm. Uh, are there any uh, examples uh, that come to mind mm. that you could share and, and, and how you addressed it and some of the things that you did? Yeah, earlier on in pastoral work, I was a failure in one, at one time. I tried to... Um, the danger was I was trying to be somebody else. I want to be that kind of pastor, you know? And so I did some pastoral work and I... Uh, I did not fail in that sense, but I did not succeed. You know, I didn't, the church did not grow. And, and uh, so I, I used to think, I used to condemn myself and say, I'm not fit for this. Uh, um, because you tend to judge the ABC of church. I said attendance, budgets, and, you know. We used to judge our lives by the number of people. And, um, and also try to be somebody else. And... Um, but one day, one leader spoke to me and said, he said, God wants you to be Michael. We don't want somebody else. Right? Be Michael. And then that really helped me to realize that I'm unique. And so uh, trying to copy others was a big failure in my life and imitate others. Uh, in the first early years of my life, I used to scream and I preach. I thought anointing was shouting. <laughs> and uh, I lost my voice. That's all I got. <laughs> but the Lord said, just be your personality. It's not the kind of shouting and jumping and screaming. Just, just be yourself, right? Okay. So I also believe sometimes we, we put on, we try to act like others. Uh, so those are some of the mistakes I try to do. Um, um, one of the biggest mistakes I did was uh, in marriage. As I said, the first 10 years of my marriage, uh, I thought I was it. You know, my wife was only a part of furniture, you know, and she's there to help me. I'm the helpmate, right? And uh, I neglected my wife. And, and I said I neglected, not that I abused or anything like that, but I did not recognize the calling she had. 
I thought it's about my call, my, my ministry, my... So after 10 years, my wife had cancer. She was 29, and uh, she was sort of very serious cancer, and she had to go through surgery. It happened in Sri Lanka because we had, couldn't go back to New Zealand. And so when she was brought out of the surgery and she was unconscious, I was waiting and I had to go to the room. Then the Holy Spirit asked me, he said, you know, I'm not asking you what do you do with your church. That's my church. What do, you, what do you do with your wife? I was about to lose my wife. And that's the time I really saw the mistake I did in neglecting my wife and children. Uh, I did it with a good intention of building the church, you know, ministry, and and uh, so I think I, I, if ever I repent, is that I neglected my family because of ministry. We sacrificed the family on the altar of ministry. So uh, I would say um, encourage anyone, you know, if you love your wife or your spouse, you know, spend time with them, spend time with your children. Uh, I know nowadays they talk a lot about having family first, but the days we were young, uh, we didn't, sadly. So, <laughs> so that's, that's a big mistake I did. I think. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, I guess uh, we understand that ministry is challenging, mm -hmm. and um, the Bible talks about, the Apostle Paul talks about being faithful to the end. Yeah. Um, you know, what are some of the things that have helped you mm -hmm. uh, stay focused and... Uh, remain faithful, even in in changing times. With even in with the mm. with the um, um, with the changing times in, that we're living in, and mm. maybe stay faithful to the call of God mm. uh, on your life. Yeah, I would say the context we worked in. There were always challenges. We had war for thirty years. We had persecution in Sri Lanka, so that kept us on our toes. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we had no time to relax and. Uh, think of anything else. We constantly we were un, under pressure. So, and of course, God's faithfulness. Faithfulness happens because of His faithful, right? Remember that the Bible says. So I remember the first time when we went back to Sri Lanka, my wife and I. Uh, uh, we never had any missionary organization standing with us. I was a pastor in Sri Lanka, so I took her with me, and we had three suitcases. And we started life. And so when we went back, I didn't, my wife didn't have, even have the ticket to, money to go back to Sri Lanka, go to Sri Lanka. I had a return ticket. So we came to Sydney with one-way ticket. And from there, we had no money to go to Sri Lanka. So we were there. And, and you know, last moment, last moment, God provided for her, her ticket. So, and so now we are on a flight to Colombo from Singapore. From Singapore, we went there. And suddenly, the reality hit me. I'm taking a wife, three suitcases, without no support. <laughs> and uh, uh, I asked him, what on earth are you doing? I was not on earth. I was in heaven at that time <laughs> on the flight, right? And uh, suddenly, it shook me. You know, I was thinking, what am I doing? Just married, three months, you know, taking a foreign woman. She, you know, Sri Lanka is another country. You know, sometimes God takes you things that you don't know the reality, you know, and suddenly it hits you. So I told my wife, I said, about to land, I said, quick, do you have a Bible in your, in your, in your handbag? So she said, she had a pocket Bible. She said, I said, Lord, uh, 
I need a word from you. I'm desperate. So I opened the Bible, and then he turned, on, turned to Deuteronomy 7, 9. I never read that before. It says, know this day, the Lord your God is a faithful God. I closed the Bible. I said, that's enough. That, that promise, you're a faithful God. Okay. Now today, it's 44 years since that. And I can tell you, God has done so much beyond so the faithfulness of God is what keeps you faithful. Right? Because he, as I said this morning, uh, every morning I say, good morning, mercy, because it's your mercies and faithfulness that I live, right? Every morning the mercies are new. Great is your faithfulness. So once you start thinking of yourself as a big person or important person, then you are walking dangerous ground. But you say, I like that song, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so... I, every morning we sing that, my wife and I, I say, Lord, we remember your faithfulness. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, last few years we've all experienced uh, COVID. Yes. Uh, it's been... So we want your opinion as to who started COVID. <laughs> <laughs> What's your theory? <laughs> Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Nothing controversial. Um, so we, we know that COVID was not an accident. So yeah. We've talked about this and we said that during COVID, God was not in, in heaven sanitising his hands <laughs> and putting on a mask. Uh, so God was well aware of exactly yeah. what was happening here on earth. Um, what is your take on what's happened? Uh, I know we've talked about this. What is your take on what's happened, mm. more from a, 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 a spiritual perspective in terms of challenges, opportunities, and, and so on? Mm. No doubt you've reflected Yeah, on. I don't have any conspiracy theories yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I believe God is a master of turning evil for good. I don't think we have control of what happens on this world because uh, God of this world, Satan, has taken over. And, and so we will not, even not have control in the future. But one thing we know, what the enemy is meant for evil, God will turn for good. So as along my life was concerned, I had COVID twice, actually. And uh, I seen God turn the things around for good. It redefined what church is. And I think I mentioned the word, the bare minimum that's needed to run a church. God said, that's enough. If you don't need to have all these things to run a church, you need the basic things. And, and the, what do you say, the added things got cut, cut, cut away. And so today, in, basically in Asia and in Africa, COVID actually helped the churches uh, to go on without the... Oh, what's the word I use? Um, uh, thrive in some places. And it also tested our concept what church is, right? Is church, uh, it took us back to the early church. We were confined to the homes, right? You remember lockdown? We were confined to the home. But that's where the church grew in the early church. So, for example, in Sri Lanka, just before I left, my last assignment was I called the leaders and said, uh, what do you see in the next 10 years? I see God can do so much. I, so we decided to plant 7,000 house churches in the next 10 years. And two weeks later, COVID hit us and locked down. And so I told the pastors, now see how many homes 
not your churches, how many homes can you train to become house churches now? And we were able to train within six months, 2,000 to 3,000 homes. We identified leaders in those homes who can be the church planters. They didn't go to Bible school, but they had practical running church every Sunday in their home. So it helped us uh, in that context to, uh, to understand, to go back to the first church, house to house, to run the church. So uh, I believe that's, that's the best way to go, especially in persecution. Yeah, so there are other things about COVID. I don't know. Um, Habakkuk was, uh, was a powerful book that helped me in COVID. He begins to ask questions. Uh, have you heard of Habakkuk? Habakkuk, how do you say it? Habakkuk or Habakkuk, yeah. Habakkuk. Yeah. He begins with complaint and God says, stop complaining, look to the nations what I'm doing. So God said, look to the nations. And then he ends up with revival, the last chapter, revive us in your days. And in chapter 3, verse 2, I think it says, he came down from heaven, but he says, as he moved, he says, the plague went before him. So I believe the plague came before the revival. So if you look only at COVID, it's a, it's a mystery. But if you look beyond the plague, the COVID, God is sending revival. Yeah. Amen. If a small virus from wherever it started could spread the whole nation, all the nations of the earth, how much more can revival spread? A small fire. Amen? Amen. So what can begin in this church, it can spread faster than COVID. Do you believe that? Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's both are unseen. Revival is an unseen move of God. Virus is an unseen virus. <laughs> But let's believe what God is going to do is bigger than COVID, right? Um, over the last decade, we've seen uh, a moral decline in the world. There's mm. no question about mm. it. Um, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges for the church in the coming decade? And not only the challenges, but what do you see as some of the opportunities for the church mm. in the coming decade? Yeah, the opportunities can be only found in challenges, right? If you see your obstacle as opportunity, then God, like the giant I said this morning, the giant is the opportunity to, for God to do something great. So yes, there are so much out there. The darkness is getting worse. You don't expect it to get better. Okay, it doesn't matter who the politicians are, which party comes in, darkness will increase, Isaiah 60. But that's a time for the light to shine. So I think the more the darkness is, the greater the opportunity for light. Uh, but my thinking is that I've been pastor for so many years, uh, I realized I pastored the church inside, but not the outside. So in the last five to seven years, I've been trying to say that the ch your church is not inside. Is outside, where you work, where you study. How can I mobilize everyone in my church to be a pastor in the marketplace? So that's the biggest challenge. To keep a church alive is easy, but what about keeping the church in the darkness? So that's what, so my, I, I've been telling that the 21st century belongs to the lay people, not to the pulpit. 
the last century, the, all the prophets, priests, and the apostles came. But God is saying the real power is in the, in the people. How can we release them? To, uh, so earlier on in my ministry, if a teacher would come to church, I said, no, you're a teacher, be a Sunday school teacher, right? <laughs> but the Lord said, you know, that teacher has more influence seven days a week with 40 students or 30 students and the families and the schools. Instead of making her Sunday school teacher inside the church, how can you train her to be a, a light there in the, in the school, you know? So in Sri Lanka, what I did was I looked at all the professions, uh, different professions, and I said, we form associations like unions, like trade unions. For each of those areas, how can the Christians make a difference there? Not difference inside the church. So I think that's what I would love to see in this church. They realize that their seven Monday church begins on Monday, actually, not on Sunday. And then Sunday we celebrate what happened during the week and uh, empower people too. I think one of the big challenges for many of us is the consumer mentality yeah. within the context of the church and mm. overcoming that and seeing ourselves as, yeah. you know, the priesthood of believers is, yeah. uh, is a real thing. So, mm. Mm. Yeah, it's good. All right, we're going to open up to the floor. And um, if you have a question, all you need to do is uh, put your hand up and uh, we will and Joe get will answer. We will go. <laughs> His driver will answer. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so if you have a question, just put your hand up and we will get a roaming mic to you. Are there any questions? No question. Good. <laughs> this is like an AGM. Let's get, get, get through it quickly. <laughs> Are there any questions? No, no, there's no question. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. Yeah. Thank you, Adrian. So I'm listening to you talking through this conference, and most of us aren't pastors. Some of us are in business. Just love your input. How you parallel being pastor and being business ministry or whatever else we're involved in? Thank you. Yeah, I didn't hear that. So. Uh, how do you parallel being a pastor and being in business? Not okay, business. yeah. Yeah, I, I think being in business is a great opportunity for ministry. Uh, because I believe we, for too long we separated the secular and the sacred, like the Catholic Church. The priests do the sacred work, people do the secular work. So in the Bible there is no secular and sacred. Everything is sacred, everything is kingdom. Whether you eat or drink, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. And so God is looking for business people in the marketplace to make a difference and also uh, to be successful, there are people like, I always say there are three people in the Bible uh, <clears throat> who never was, never preachers, but they made a huge impact. One is Joseph, he never preached, but his position in authority in Joseph, in, 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 in uh, second one is uh, Daniel, you know, again, he, he, he says he, he was one of the top administrators in, under three kings he served. 
three kingdoms actually, Babylonian, Persian, and Mid. So he, but under all those, he, he, he excelled. He was excellent. And the three others also, they said they, they had, I think, seven times more wisdom than others. So God wants to use us in the marketplace. The third person, of course, is Esther. She never preached anything, but her decisions made a huge kingdom change. So I believe God wants to raise people up. Because the whole church is on the stage, right? On, isn't it? If all the focus here is on, on, on the preacher. But, but you, you have an influence in the world. You, know? you can make a difference. So uh, it's not, they're not, not two different things. It is the kingdom. Right? So uh, if you're a businessman, be the best businessman that people will look up to you. And integrity and things like that. Um, as I told you yesterday, you know, the workplace I worked, people saw the difference, how I worked, not so much what I said, but what I did. So, uh, yes, if you can be successful out there for the glory of God, that's the main thing. I, I, I put it like this. <clears throat> if I am a shirt manufacturer, right, <laughs> if I would produce a shirt and say I want to advertise, if I get the top pastor in Australia to wear it and model it, how many shirts will I sell? Right? But if I get the top rugby player to wear it, that will, they will sell multiple times more than the pastor. Why? Influence. So it's better to have Christians in the sports field, in the business, in the entertainment world, in the IT, wherever. It's better they, ha they have a greater influence as salt and light, salt and light. That's what we are, if you excel out there, not inside the church. <laughs> we may sell about 10,000 shirts. <laughs> the top pastor wore it, right? But one rugby, rugby player or a sportsman, his influence will be millions, isn't it? So that's how, how I look at it. Does it help? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, just behind him, there's a, another. Hey there, Pastor Dissanaki. Um, so you've had the pleasure of ministering to people around the world with the Word of God. Were there ever any challenges that you encountered when doing so? And uh, how did you overcome them when speaking to different cultures, different people, different uh, theological backgrounds and doctrines? Thank you. Yeah, again, I... I Okay. What are some of the challenges that you've had? Okay, yes, challenges. Um, yeah, challenges will be always there because uh, somebody says the church is like Noah's Ark, right? It's a beautiful place, but there are all kinds of animals <laughs> and all kinds of smells. So you must, I think God blessed him for surviving inside the ark for so many days. So the church is like that worldwide. It's diverse, it's difficult, different. But there's a wonderful thing about the spirit of God in, in, in every church, wherever you go. Wherever you go, there is, the spirit of God is moving. So there are so much critics about the church. I, I know that people criticize the church. But somebody said like this, it's like the iceberg. You see the top of the iceberg, you see something. But underneath, 
There's so much. So what you see outside, don't criticize, don't, but there's so much underneath the unity of the spirit. What God is bringing the nations together. So there's so much happening what God is doing. So when it comes to going to other nations, I find that uh, if you look for what the Holy Spirit is doing, there's always something good there. Yeah. So I always say, Holy Spirit, show me what are you doing in this nation. And I'm really amazed at how many like, different ways God is moving. Because sadly, the media today intentionally keeps the church away from, the, from focus, right? You should never find, I was on a flight from, from Dallas to here, you know, 16 and a half hour flight. I want to listen to one gospel song in the, on the Qantas Entertainment. I couldn't find, a, there were thousands of songs. I checked, checked, not a single gospel song. So the media intentionally keeps the good news out of the church. But when you really go, the Holy Spirit shows us so much God is doing in the world. So much. Amen. Even in Australia, I mean, again, I want to tell you that the media has kept, kept the highlight away from the church. So we don't really know what's happening. So it's like Elijah who said, I'm the only one. <laughs> you know what God said? <laughs> How many are there? There's 7,000 who have not bowed their knees. So there's so much happening out there. So, uh, but don't depend on the media. They will not tell the truth. They will hide it. Okay? So, does that help? Uh, the, the cultures are a challenge. Languages, yes. Um, I use a translator. I use Google Translate sometimes. I was on a flight with a Spanish person, and I was trying to share the gospel. And so I couldn't do it. So I turned to the Google Translate. And so... Uh, language, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, culture, yeah. But it's exciting what God is doing in the nation. If you really want to know what God is doing, just go out to some nation somewhere, Indonesia, close by to you. Go on a short-term mission trip, Fiji or Solomon Islands, and, and see what God is doing. You know, it helps you because you think Australia, nothing is happening. God is doing something all over. Amen. I'll go to Hawaii, okay? <laughs> just feel it. Yes. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, obviously, you're involved in missions around the world, yeah. and uh, that's what you're doing at the moment. Yeah. Do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit more about that and slides yeah, are available? Yeah, if you just put that presentation up, I uh, just want to show the context of the world right now, because it's good to have a big picture of, uh, otherwise you'd be like a frog in the well. You know, frog in the well only can see the the thing up there, you know, the round. Uh, okay, so uh, I share this with people how to, yeah, if you can keep moving, I will tell. Uh, if you take, uh, as I said, the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. Next slide. But the gospel has to go. Uh, so this is the state of the world. Is it, uh, can you see? Right? So you get the blue, which is 11%, the rich and the saved. And then the orange, the 23% reach, but not saved. But that means they are like the nominal Christians, right? The nominal, like Catholic, Orthodox, uh, some non-evangelical churches. So you get the first two groups, right? The blue and the orange. But then you get the underreach and unsaved. 
And then the last group are the unreached and unsaved. So the context we are living right now is that the state of the world is that the first two has been done, the last two has to be reached. The underreached are people who have heard the gospel, but not sufficiently. Not sufficiently. But when it comes to the unreached, they are never heard and they will never have an opportunity to hear. 80% of the people in this last block, 33%, that rep, uh, they, they will never meet a Christian in their whole life. 80% of the people in that block will never meet a Christian. And so this is where, when you talk about missions today, sadly, most of the mission work is done in the first two segments. 90% of all the missionaries go here. Right? All the money goes there. Running the church, the budget, everything goes there. So next slide, if you, I just explain uh, the, each block quickly. The gray area, the blue area, is that there's approximately 1 billion people. The next slide, the reach are about 1.7 billion, right? They, they are all over the world. And then the third one is, uh, is about 2.5 billion. They have some access to the gospel through various means like media and internet, but it's very less. And the last group is the yellow one, is, is the people who never have witnessing access. No people, no church, no Bible, nothing. Everything what you have in the Christi as a Christian, they don't have it. Everything you have, you look at it, they don't have anything. So that's the 2.5 billion. So that's the next slide. If you look at it, if you try to count this, this is how long it take to count uh, the 5 billion, the two segments. Next slide. Uh, uh, so these are the largest number of people groups in the world, uh, countries. Uh, India, Pakistan, China, Bangladesh, Nepal. So that's the 10 largest people groups. You know, I said about the people group, ethne. These are. So if you look at the first five, when you take China out, the third one, the largest are the in South Asia. If you go to the next, uh, so this South Asia, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, this region has the largest number of lost people. So we call this a last frontier. So Jesus will not come, remember, he will not come tonight. <laughs> he will not come until... This Great Commission is done in this region, and the second largest is North Africa and Middle East. So those are the two areas. If you really want to focus on missions, those are the segments where uh, the, the lost people are. So, but there's a great army that's against the church, against the gospel. Do you know that? Next slide. Uh, this army that's opposing the Great Commission has two billion soldiers, 40,000 organizations, so many units. 12.5 million, they have captains and units. You know, this is an army that is against the Great Commission. You know what this army is? Next slide. This army is, they have a very strong strategy. And next slide, this army is the church. <laughs> the church is the biggest hindrance to finishing the Great Commission. Because Jesus said the next verse, next slide. Whoever is not with me is against me. You cannot be neutral when it comes to missions. If you don't do it, you are against it. Now, I would say if, you do, if you're not with me, you're not against I'm neutral. But Jesus said if you don't gather, you actually 
Scatter the harvest. That's what he says. So the church, any church that does not do missions is against the Great Commission. Not only the Western church, even my church in Sri Lanka, that's what I got involved in missions because Jesus said, if you are not with me, you are against me. Next slide. Uh, Quickly run that. So this is the army. There are 2.5 billion Christians, 40,000 denominations, 430,000 missionaries, 13 million churches. So here's a huge resource. You know the budget? Next slide, if you go there. uh, uh, Okay, I think it's not there. Okay. Today, the Christian community, here we are. Christians earn 57 billion, 57,000 billion dollars, all the Christians together. That's 57 trillion dollars, 5.7 trillion dollars you earn. And do you know how much out of all that goes to missions? This amount, the unreached people groups. Can you see how much this is? I looked for a one cent coin but couldn't find it. Of all the money Christians earn today, it tells you how much it gave to the local church. They give about 1.7 to a local church. From that it goes 12.2 and see, the last, the unreached people, remember the yellow block I told you? This is how much it goes to that, to reach the lost. So my role is to, I am, I am a, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. I, I make people uncomfortable, <laughs> wholly uncomfortable. We have to finish the task. And because Paul said, next slide, if you go back, by all means, he said, by all means, where Christ is not named, I must preach the gospel. So don't think of the first three circles, segments. Think now onwards. The last segment. That's when we finish that, the, the Christ will come. Second one he said. Uh, the third one, how can they hear unless they are sent? Uh, fourth one, he says, regions beyond. And fifth one, he says, there is no room in this place. I want to tell some of you there that you have done your work in your region. There's enough people doing the gospel. Paul said, there is no more room here. He write into Romans. He said, I'm in Asia, there's no more room, I'm going to come to Rome because I finished my work in my area. So the thinking is that we are to save everybody. That's not great. We will never save everybody. Because human beings have a human will, and therefore they will refuse to accept the gospel or accept the gospel. We cannot change that. But our job is to give every person an opportunity to hear the gospel. So that's what we are talking about in an understandable, acceptable way that they will hear the gospel, the message. So that's, so I pray that uh, some people from this church or from your movement will say, I have, I have no more room here in this area. There are enough people. I want to go to a place where Christ is not named. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. That's, so revival is, in the power of God, we fall on that group, not in your church. I know most people want revival inside. And all those revivals that came inside did not last more than two years or three years or five years the most. Because revival is not meant for inside. It's meant to go to that, the last block. Amen? That last block, the unreached. Amen. Amen. How many people got something out of that? <laughs> How many people are just a little bit inspired uh, to missions? It's amazing. 
is very passionate about that. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Michael, for your insight. And um, we pray God continues yeah, to I, use I would you. like you to pray for me. I, wherever I go, I, I'm looking for people to pray because I don't pastor a local church now. So wherever I go, the work I do, I need a lot of prayer. Prayer support more than any other support. So I will send some information to Joe regularly, maybe once a month, something, the things I do. If you can stand with me in prayer. Great. Will you pray Let, for me today before? Yeah, let's all stand yeah. together. We'll pray yes. for you in just a moment. We're going to sing a, a song and then we'll come back and we're going to pray for Pastor Michael. Thank you. <laughs>